This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. <laughs> and this is Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly or otherwise donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcast. Father Gregory, this is a uh, this is old school um, because old we school. are yeah we're recording. Uh, it's not a live splaining or a guest splaining, and yet uh, we're recording uh, in situ um, in you're in Switzerland and I'm in Washington D.C. Because mistakes were made and technology did its thing and what have you, but it reminded me of sock ops, and uh, <laughs> I want to ask you the question of: Did this also does this also remind you of sock ops, or do you have any idea what a sock hop is? I have many thoughts. First thought is I have no idea what a sock hop is. Second okay, thing is I want to hear on. what you think this has to do with sock ops. Yeah. So sock ops, one might think that this is like hopping around in socks, and it kind of is because that's how language works in general. It has some relationship to what it's asking for. Um, but sock hops were, any viewer who is older than um, 35 um, would know about sock hops, I think, <laughs> because, because they were all the rage when I was in elementary school. Um, it was a way, and it's one of those things, like I wish I had a time machine, you could go back and find out like elementary school principals and teachers, like when they said, mm -hmm. let's have a sock hop. Because what is a sock hop? I think sock hop is uh, a way in the 1950s that high schoolers got together to dance. So it was like an uh -huh. informal dance um, okay. and you would, it would be on the gym floor in a school. And so you would take off your shoes so that you didn't scuff up the floor. So it's called a sock hop. Uh -huh. um, okay. Now what that interestingly enough, that was the, the shoes being taken off was not the most important thing um, to the sock hop experience for me. Uh, well, there's plenty of things, but the, the essence of it, I suppose, the basin of the sock hop was more about what you wore uh, mm. because, and it wasn't what you wore. It's like what your parents dressed you up as because we did these in like the, in, in elementary school, like fifth grade or sixth grade or seventh grade of middle school or something. And the guys would wear, you'd wear jeans. So obviously I didn't go to many of these um, <laughs> and, and a white t-shirt, uh, sometimes a leather jacket. But if you had the white t-shirt, you would also take like a box of chalk or something and you would roll it mm -hmm. up on the sleeve like cigarettes because that's how apparently 50s people would uh, would go to sock hops with their cigarettes rolled up in their sleeves. Um, mm -hmm. This is all parents doing this. This becomes like this kind of creepy, like let's imagine, let's dress up our kids like as dolls sort of things. <laughs> um, and the girls would wear uh, what were called, try this. Do you know what poodle skirts are? I think I do actually, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So poodle skirt, it looks like a kind of a, it's like a felt big fabric, but that could just because this was bought at party city um, and has like a poodle on it. Now I cannot explain why this happens. Um, but anyway, um, I was so, so sock cops and so the relation is throwing back to the past um, uh -huh. and in like fun kind of, you know, meta ways. And in this way, although we're not recording on top of a garbage can, um in some in our in our rooms <laughs> just folks go back and you can watch these early episodes if you think my gosh these guys are just incompetent it, the technology is not that good go back to those earlier episodes and just realize what was <laughs> happening there i mean i think we were talking on cans attached with strings um <laughs> but, so uh, we are returning for just a moment with this episode <laughs> on that but the other uh, any so any thoughts on that before i make the awesome switch and transition I have many thoughts. Yeah, you actually asked me before we started uh, recording the episode whether or not there were any announcements, and I said no because I was experiencing haste. 
Um, not that I myself was hasty. I would, I would never assign that vicious disposition to this individual who is like a soul dragging a corpse through life. Uh, yeah. So Double I was point. in haste. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, we can mention the fact that applications for the all comers retreats remain open until I think it's June 2nd. Um, so far, we've received over 100 applications, which is awesome. And I think we have like 116 spots. So wow. um, the time is upon us. Well, the time is drawing nigh. Uh, as I once sang in like fifth gate choir, but um, which is also a sock hop relative point. And then the other thing was, I was thinking about this also kind of oldie timey. Uh, yeah. Both you and I, I th I've noticed this in the past two years that when it comes to the like the intonation of words in the middle of a sentence, actually in all points of a sentence, I think we're kind of losing our bearings. And I think in part, it reflects the fact that we've been closeted in our rooms, uh, working on our mm. dissertations for so long. So what I'm yeah. about to say is with all due respect to homeschool families, whom I have great esteem for, great regard for, especially at Steubenville, how they acquitted themselves admirably far beyond us publicly educated individuals. But one, one way you could tell a homeschooler was that they knew how to pronounce like 99.9% .9 of words, but every once in a while they didn't know how to pronounce a word because they hadn't heard it spoken. They'd only read it previously. And sometimes it'd be things that, that you might otherwise know. And Several I think pages. that we're... We're, yeah, exactly. We're, we're experiencing some of this in our own lives. I've lost my mm. bearings on how to like, yeah, stress words in sentences. <laughs> I feel like a criticism is about to come on me, but I'm, I'm ready for it. No, no, it's just it's just at the beginning of the episodes. Both of us are just this. like, hello and welcome to um. God's <laughs> Slaining. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, I think yeah, I try to vary that up. All right. Let me uh, let me draw draw together these strings here. Um, and say, uh, also, so with the sock up reference, two points about this. Um, one, there will be a yes listeners at this, uh, coming retreat, the all comers thing. Yes. I want to announce it here. We're going to have a sock hop. Uh, uh, Jacob Birch, father Jacob Birch will actually be the one who will be organizing that he'll be wearing a suit and wandering around with, um, to make sure that you are dancing appropriately. So if that doesn't just blow the, uh, the invitation, you know, the, uh, the applications out of the water, I don't know what will, I have no idea it will, but okay. But the second thing is the other actually important element to saw cops was that it involved two genders. Um, <laughs> no one went to saw cops and with just guys or just gals, um, it involved two genders. And this episode, as you might have noticed is do souls have genders because it's a fun one in a way. Um, and it could go on for hours. So it's going to be a shame because we only have 24 minutes left. Um, but that's fine. <laughs> this will be an open foray. Because um, at this, I think actually Father Greg and I probably, I don't want to say disagree, but we have different intuitions about this this kind of thing. Um, because we follow in this aspect, at least two different uh, Thomistic thinkers. Um, one, St. Thomas, who is generally a Thomistic thinker. Not always. Um, not always. Uh, and then the second, uh, Edith Stein, who is a Thomistic thinker. Um, not always. Uh, not always, but sometimes. Um, so, but we thought it's a good topic, not only because it's fun to see the, the kind of differences, um, but also, and, and the fact that you can have differences, uh, some differences you can have. We'll get to the Council of Vienna soon enough. Um, but also because uh, it's topical in the fact that <laughs> if you haven't noticed, <laughs> gender is kind of tricky today, you know? Used to be pretty simple, it seemed like. Yeah. Um, but today with transgender stuff, it's a little trickier and we don't want to paper over 
you know, the kind of difficulties and the psychological maladies and those problems and concerns and people struggling with this, especially um, our listeners, it's very possible that they know someone, you might know someone who has experience and issues involved around these things. Um, at the same time, we're going to back off of that and just talk about like gender from uh, a philosophical, you could say, aspect and more uh, abstract way or something. So we, we won't have any particular solutions. We're not, this isn't about the transgender thing. If you want to see that, talk about that or hear about that. Um, we did an episode with, um, oh, it got guest playing. The two of us did with um, Brendan Vaught. Brendan, yeah, Brendan Vaught, who's excellent. And it's really helpful to talk about that stuff. We're just going to go abstract and talk about, do souls have gender, which in a sense we could say, actually, the real question is, what is the cause of gender? Is it matter or form? But let's get into all that stuff. So, Father Gregory, though, before we get into specifically at St. Thomas on this, um, who's super helpful, uh, maybe give us a gender sex thing, and then maybe I'll talk about, or you can you can talk about too, but I'll talk about like what a soul is for a second from a Thomistic kind of, from our Catholic, I should say, perspective. Do you want to give us a quick bearing on gender, sex, and just a heuristic or something? Sure thing. I mean, I think uh, a good introduction to this. Uh, can be found at the aforementioned guest planning episode with Brandon Vaught. And he yeah. does the work of making those distinctions, which I think are super helpful and super clear. And insofar as many yeah. of you will have already listened to that episode because it only came out a couple of months ago, maybe what I could say is like um, that our approach to these things is typically top down. Uh, so we go from those most abstract principles to those most concrete principles when it, when, when it comes to talking about human beings. So, you know, you'll hear Catholic conversations where we talk about the fact that we're made to the image and likeness of God. And um, in the Christian tradition, that's, that's bound up with the fact that we have an intellect and a will, right, or a mind and a heart, depending on how you want to describe it. So these, these spiritual, intellectual capacities, which break us open to realities beyond ourselves in a way that's, uh, that's distinct among material creatures. So animals don't have this, plants don't have this, rocks don't have this. Um, and so we'll talk about being made to the image and likeness of God. And we focus then about, uh, on intellect and will, but as human beings, obviously we are rational animals. So we have the bodily element as well, not just spiritual, but we also have this bodily element. Uh, and so you hear then talk about what it means to be a, a body soul or a soul body composite. Uh, if you've come across that type of language, but um, mm -hmm. it's not like we're, we're souls trapped in a body or we're bodies kind of toting around souls. We're one thing, a body soul composite. And when you get into conversations about, about matter, um, about the fact that when, you know, this soul uh, is composed with this matter, this matter becomes a human body, then, um, you know, that introduces further questions still. So like, how is it that we are male and female? At what point does that enter into the equation? And I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the, yep. the question that we're broaching here. Yeah, that's great. It's good. It's good to distinguish. We talk about souls um, as Catholics because of the Council of Vienna, 1303, I think, um, defines uh, Zidenzinger 902, that we believe the soul is the form of the body. So this is what you might hear the jargon is hylomorphism. So some account of hylomorphism. Um, and that, that means that's like, you could say between a crass materialistic view that the soul is just kind of like what we call the body, you know, you could have materialism. Most of the people you meet out there today are kind of, are kind of materialists. Um, they could be materialists. Then on the other extreme though, would be the kind of ghost in the machine view, which, uh, Gilbert Ryle and the conception of mind in the 1950s ascribed to Descartes false. Um, I mean, it's false that it's ascribed to Descartes. It is true that he ascribed it to Descartes. 
Um, but this, which I think actually is the other common position is like the soul is this little ghost figure and, uh, he's driving a flesh, he's driving a flesh cage. Um, or, and like when you die, you hear this, like you lose nine grams or something and that's the weight of the soul. And it's like the soul is this kind of other substance. So you're these two things. I mean, I guess it's also kind of like independence day where the, like there's the alien body shell. And then, but when you Mm. crack it open, there's that little guy inside. And we just, that's in the mind or something. So that's the other view. That is not allowed. You do not, as Catholics, want to believe that. Uh, that leads to all sorts of problems. It's just as bad, maybe worse than the materialistic one. Um, the we Our view, soul as the form of the body means it's related intimately. And that's where we're cashing out there, as Father Gregory said, though. But Catholics, uh, we, we believe this sort of thing. Um, and so is Descartes. He says soul is the form of the body. But that is a different issue. Um, but so let's, uh, so once we got this pared down, you might say, well, how does, darn, the gender stuff is tricky today. Um, I got to go to a sock hop. So um, let me arm myself intellectually with an account of, of, of gender from St. Thomas's perspective. So what is, uh, so Father Gregory, how does St. Thomas approach this sort of question um, and gender and where does that come in? Um, yeah. And maybe then, yeah, if you want to get into the like, uh, criticisms of him, I suppose, feel free to, to answer as well. But if you don't, I'll mention some stuff. You will. Uh, let me try my best to be brief and then you mm. can, uh, pose some objections and we can suss it out there. Um, so we talked about man, you know, human beings are a body soul composite. And so St. Thomas describes much to this kind of reciprocity or this mutual implication. I don't know the best words where whereby to describe it, but I think you get what I'm saying. So we as human beings are embodied souls or ensouled bodies, but we're one thing. And in St. Thomas's estimation, the soul is more noble, the body exists for the soul. And so the soul has, you know, this, what would one say this kind of capacity or this, this principiality, that is a word that has never before been said on God's planning. So I'm glad to bring that to you here for the first time. Um, the verb of that, you know, principing? Principialize? Don't worry about it. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about the, the soul as the form of the body or the formal cause, which makes the thing to be what it yeah. is. So I said previously, like the matter, what we're talking about here, it's not a human body until such time as it's informed by a human soul. Uh, yeah. So like when you die and your soul departs or your soul and your body separate, we don't really refer to that body as much or anymore as a human body. We refer to it by a different name, namely a corpse. Uh, and then as it goes through, you know, stages of decay, it becomes less so recognizable. You see where this is going. Okay. So the basic idea here is that by virtue of our souls, you know, we're rational and that by virtue of our bodies, we're animal. That's mm-hmm. to cut it a little too clean, but you get what I'm saying. Um, and, and basically that we are gendered by our bodies because gender is a kind of biological or animalistic fact. Um, so just thinking of separated substances, angels, they don't have genders, right? St. Thomas will say that angels are each their own species for cool reasons, which we won't entertain at present, but that (laughs) we are gendered by our bodies. Now that doesn't mean to say that your, um, your soul is like an angel or that your soul is kind of abstract or even kind of, what would the word be here? Impersonal to the extent that it has no real relation to a body. No, there's a real mutuality or reciprocity, which arises from this body soul composite, such that the fact of your biological, you know, 
state, you know, the fact that you are gendered as a male or as a female kind of resonates as it were through your soul. One way we see that is like in emotions. This isn't going to fall into crass gender stereotypes, but um, St. Thomas will say that the emotions or the passions mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. a kind of biological feature of our lives. He says, you know, we see them in animals too, but then he says each of them have a kind of higher resonance. So it's not just like we experience love animalistically, we also experience it spiritually, but there's a real relationship between the animal and the rational experience. And so we, you know, I use the word resonance, but um, what we're talking about is a kind of bottom up effect such that the way that we're constituted materially has genuine, um, yeah, it, it kind of ramifies through, man, principiality and ramifies. Today is a great day. It ramifies it through the whole day. of our life. <laughs> So that's that's a basic intro. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think I. Yeah, I mean, the cool thing about Saint Thomas is he has such a unified account. It's nice that you keep the body and the soul together. They keep the formal and the material aspects, um, such that we don't have this weird separation. Such that you say, like, I wonder if I'm actually this, although I appear to be this. Like, you can be disguised to yourself. I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the, I guess, one of the the dangers with Thomas, I think. What? Let's put it this way. Everyone has to bite bullets at some point, and every mm. position, especially at the most metaphysical basic levels of things, have like um, tensions, maybe was the best word for it, or like things. And I guess one of my one of my concerns, or at least my tensions with St. Thomas, is that it does make uh, gender seem something a little too materialistic. My general thing is that Thomas, matter does a whole lot for Thomas. Um, so material stuff does a whole lot for him. And the thing is, matter is a form of, is a, a principle of potency. So we're going to keep using more, more big words here. Um, yeah. it's not a principle of determination. Uh, it's a principle of, of receptivity and such. It doesn't have an active sense to it, unless we want to give matter some active sense. Uh, and then we're moving further and further away from Thomistic accounts. And yet gender, my masculinity or someone else's femininity seems to have an active component to it. Like it seems to have uh, something you act out of gender in a different way than the receptivity. What do I mean by that? Um, I mean that uh, it seems to me, or let's put it this way. Um, it seems like there are ways of acting and thinking and loving that seem to be distinctly characteristic of men and women. Right, that it seems like my way of interacting with the world is distinctively characteristic of of me as a man, perhaps, and and maybe a woman would be similar. Um, and it is true that, for instance, my way of interacting with the world depends on my height. You know how tall I am, sort of thing, um, and maybe my skin color, uh, in terms of like getting suntanned, or even more like whether I'm left-handed or right-handed. But it seems weird to put my masculinity in the category of um, in the area of like height, uh, skin color, handedness, or some kind of material thing, right? It, that Because material things are like constraints on activity, it seems like to me. The matter constrains in a sense or shapes or conditions the, the spirit, the soul, formal, formal causes. Um, but it seems like I'm not... Act, I'm not, my masculinity and femininity doesn't constrain my soul. So it's not like I could also be a better florist or something. Like I had more powers of knowing and loving if only I didn't have this male body. Um, but it seems like it actually speaks out of that. So that's just the first, that's just kind of first 
pass on that. What, and then we maybe yes. we can talk about Stein on what she, how she kind let, of let me, thinks about that. Let me volley back just real quick yep. and then send it to you for Stein because we're actually scheduled to zoom in with a uh, Nashville Dominican Sisters fourth grade class here shortly. So we got to get yeah. down to the serious business of just uh, mucking it up on Zoom. Um, so the, my first thought is that I think that sometimes we have difficulty envisioning what it would mean for matter to as it were, the word that I used was like resonate for the effects of mm -hmm. matter to resonate through the spiritual dimension. And I think no, that St. Right. Thomas's account of the passions is one helpful place in which we find this to be true. So he has distinct yeah. vocabulary for the more animalistic and then for the more spiritualistic experiences. So for like love, he says amor in the lower register and he says delexio in the higher register. For sadness, he has, you know, like dolor in the lower register and tristitia in the higher register. For joy, he has like um, you know, what would delectatio in the lower register and then gaudium in the higher register. So he, he recognizes the fact that these are distinct, but that they're related, or at the very least, they're not unrelated. Um, so he doesn't try to pin down the resonance, but I think that that's where we can benefit from the phenomenological account of Edith Stein. Mm -hmm. I was talking to some students the other day, and I was thinking, for instance, about the fact, okay, so women tend to have a smaller frame. They tend to be weaker. They tend to be less skilled in matters of, you know, like speed and uh strength and blah whatever you get it um so that's just statistically true it's not saying anything about any individual but because it's statistically true i think women tend to share an experience uh which men don't tend to share so like for instance you're in a big city and it's time for you to go to public transportation to make your way home it's late at night it's a weekend as a man you think to yourself cool which podcast am i going to listen to as a woman you think to yourself am i going to make it home alive <laughs> Uh -huh. So I think yeah, yeah. that's just yeah. a very different experience mm -hmm. and it's widely shared. And that's something that doesn't need to be explained to members of the same sex or same gender, whichever, however we're using the particular word here, but we tend to graph them on. Um, yeah. So CF, Brandon Vaught episode. Um, but, um, and I think I said graph when I meant graft, but I've already used ramifies and principiality. So it's just no holds bar at this point. I thought about um, Steffi Graf, so yeah. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, so that common experience, uh, it speaks to this resonance of that kind mm -hmm. of like animal to the spiritual. And as a result, I think it creates a common culture, which can be identified in distinct modes of thinking. And I think where we see this most exaltedly, and this leads into Edith Stein's account, isn't the fact that, you know, women can bear children. So she talks about yeah. how the identity of a woman, the kind of mission of a woman is always related to the fact that she's a daughter, she's a bride, she's a mother in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And so this relationship to her own biology and the biology of the children that she could conceivably conceive, bring into this world, nurture, raise, love, you know, that has real profound, you know, like biological consequences, which do indeed resonate in a spiritual in a spiritual way. So that send it back to you then and you can talk more about Edith Stein. Yeah, yeah. So no, I think you're right. And I think it also distinguishes the point the so the distinction between men and women the experience of the world the phenomenological count, as you say, um, in being like you know, shorter, slower or whatever, gender stereotypes, like just physical aspects that then shape color how you experience the world. I think that's that's exactly where the Thomistic account would go. And I think it's 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 right and true and profound. Edith Stein wants to push just a, a step further though and say, actually, it's not just that these things condition us here, but actually, as you say, in the nature of me, so in the nature of being a woman, it's not just being nature of being a human that then experience it womanly, but that I have a, a, a female nature in a way that my thinking and my willing is aimed towards different, different objects in a way. So you said, you talked about um, helpmate or bride uh, or spouse and mother, 
And Edgestein thinks these are, these are, if I look at my experience as a woman, she says, um, I realize that women, not just statistically, or I should say statistically, because essentially um, are oriented to the world in terms of, she says, living and towards living in personal things, whereas men are or oriented towards kind of object things first. And two, she says, I have an, a natural or an inner orientation to the world for the whole, to take care, to gather together, this sort of thing. Whereas men tend to be more about the parts kind of thing. Now, you can initially think this is a crass stereotype. And the trick with phenomenology is <laughs> the proof's in the pudding. You got to decide, is this true? Like, it's not like a logical deduction. It's a question of, is this, when I think about my acts in the world, do I think about them this way? And Stein's account is she, is she says, I, when I when I go into, when I think about being a woman, I think, or I think about a man, but I think about her being a woman and acting, and I, I, I root my actions of knowing and loving and what I'm oriented towards from the inside out as opposed to from the outside in, which means that she then says things like, um, my, my female nature, it is part of my nature to be a woman in a way that it's not part of my nature to be five foot 10 or my part of my nature to be left-handed. It's true that I'm left-handed. Uh, I'm not right-handed, but um, but it's not part of my, I could be something else. It's not, that's something that constrains. So she has this set up this thing where then it's it's about this kind of, it's at the soul level, which then leads to things like saying, wait a minute, there are two, there, there are different kinds of souls. There's female souls and male souls, um, which then goes, oh no, two species. And she does say at some point two species, but she corrects herself later and says it's two, fo two different forms um, of the same ultimate form. But she also says, this is, I love this one line she said at some point in her book on woman, her collection of essays. She says, uh, uh, this isn't as absurd as it sounds. So she recognized like, ah, I'm moving this way, right? So that's, that's the Stein's vision is that, yeah, at the, that these, these differentiations between men and women are, are, you could say, of the nature of the man or woman uh, of the human, um, and that that explains somehow inside out as opposed to merely the outside in. She is still, I mean, of course, she still thinks it's, she still thinks she's being Thomas. She talks about Thomas all the time on this, on, you know, on my uh, former corporates, but um, she, it is different that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when you, so one of the things about St. Thomas's account, which is especially satisfying in light of the 20th century situation or 21st century situation, where we are at present is that you look at a thing and you say, you know, how is that thing sexed or gendered uh, mm -hmm. by its material constitution? That's, that's just what it is. Now, mind you, there are limit cases, but they're a very small percentage of the population. So you don't have to like break the rule by reason of the limit. And it's in a certain sense, like the exception kind of proves the rule. Um, whereas with, with Stein, there is this kind of anxiety that if you admit um, some decoupling of uh, you know, like the spiritual and then the bodily dimension that you open the door for a whole flood of modern nonsense or contemporary yeah. nonsense, which I think, you know, on the one hand that that's, that's kind of ill-founded because she hasn't, she isn't formulating her theory in um, with an eye to what, what we're experiencing at present, the kind of transgender ideology or transgender movement. Um, but she's trying to valorize the experience which is distinct to men and distinct to women mm -hmm. and saying it's just it's not just a matter of matter which i understand that sentiment but coming kind of back at it from a domestic yep. perspective something that you like to cite a lot is that when chester describes saint thomas he says if you were to have taken 
um, like one of those Carmelite uh, sweet genitive add-on names. He would have mm -hmm. been St. Thomas of the Creator. So even while we talk about matter as a kind of principle, like you said, of potency or even unintelligibility, there is a profound sense in St. Thomas's understanding where it's very much dignified insofar as it's created by God and that made to be a body-soul composite, you know, body and soul, uh, that it's the matter there it, it is part of a synthetic or it's part of, yeah, just a composite dignified thing. Yeah. And so the effects that it can have, even while we may not see our way to them with perfect clarity, uh, they can be themselves, you know, like very worthwhile or, or very dignified, even though we can't draw all the connections. Uh, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's the day. So the, the day, so I suppose the ten, the danger with Thomas's, at least much so in that hackneyed Thomas account is that it, it reduce it reduces gender to nothing. It's just kind of like, actually, what you re what's really important to you is your soul and your rational powers. And turns out, you know, man and woman don't really fit it. It's just kind of a contingent fact that you're a man and woman. Um, in fact, you might even think uh, the same anxieties from a philosophical perspective could say, well, if I can change, if it genders due to my matter and I can change any of my matter, like wait till science does this, eventually we can change the genome perhaps of someone like it's, it's conceivable logically. Well, then I could change gender according to Thomas's right. account. So it's like right, right. E both have this. Um, so Thomas has this point where it's like you, you could say, well, gender isn't really that important to Thomas because it's not. Whereas Stein, I think, as you say, um, her emphasis is to bring out the differences between the genders. But anytime you make a distinction, it can slide into a division and then a separation. Mm -hmm. And then like, so then so so that in distinguishing the genders, you could say, or in this, in a harder way, in a stronger way than Stein does, you get benefits of seeing the differences between men and women and the important complementarity between them. But you also run the, the, the problem of like separating the body from the soul and the Cartesian-ish kind of thing. And that runs into the problems too. So I think it's a matter of, of kind of holding, kind of swinging back and forth in a way, perhaps, um, between the two, because gender is really important, um, but so is your body. And gender and your body related and the question of whether you want to come kind of top down from that in the Steinian perspective or bottom up with a Thomistic perspective it might be somewhat a matter of your starting point and, and ideally you'd kind of come to something uh similar but that's yeah so that's my my kind of go on that but that's we'll have to leave it here for for now but i hope the important part is that gender does matter um even if it's not matter duh um, but, or maybe it is, uh, or maybe it's related. It's obviously related. It's obviously related because there are like male and female parts, right? We're not going to talk about those, but, um, thanks again to all our supporters. If you like to tithe, if you'd like to tie to our work, check out us at patreon.com at forward slash Godsplaining. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Still, we you still doing TikTok. Um, maybe TikTok, sock hops on TikTok, coming in, like, subscribe, leave a five-star <laughs> review, visit godsplaining.org to shop our merchandise and get dates and information for upcoming Godsplaining events. As mentioned, there's still room for the Alcomers Retreat, talking about the virtue, uh, Cardinal Virtues, Joseph Pieper's book, um, which would be fantastic. Uh, if you haven't read that, it's great fun, and it's a great time to be together, um, sock hop or not. But um, thanks to for all your prayers. Know of us, our prayers for you. Please keep praying for us, and we'll catch you next time on God's Planning. Mm -hmm.